0: 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. As you're turning there, um, I want to tell you about a a new translation of the Bible. A new translation of the Bible was published recently. It is called the Legacy Standard Bible. Now, I suspect very few, if any of you have heard of The Legacy Standard Bible. In fact, it's not actually a new translation per se. It's in fact an update of an old translation, uh, namely the New American Standard Bible. Now, uh, as some of you know, though the NASB is an excellent translation, it is not my favorite by a long shot. And if you want to know why, feel free to talk to me about it uh, uh, sometime. Furthermore, (laughs) For the most part, I think that we have more than enough translations. I don't think we need more translations of the Bible. I could stand up there and name uh, up here right now and name for you many translations of the Bible. There are so many and a lot of good ones. You know, there's the ESV and there's the NIV and there's the CSB and there's the NASB and there's the NET and there's... I could go on, but... I do have to say that I very much appreciate the Legacy Standard Bible for two reasons. The first is that they have reclaimed the divine covenant name of God so that uh, you don't see any uh, of the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament. Instead, you see the divine covenant name of God, Yahweh. This is the name of God, and I don't know why, uh, but for some reason, modern translations do not have this. The HCSB, in fact, did do this on occasion, and then they stopped publishing the HCSB and made the CSB, and they went back to the original. I don't know why, uh, but I really like that when I read the Legacy Standard Bible, and in fact, I have been using it for my daily devotions, because when you are in the Old Testament, there is nothing... Well. I don't know. It's something anyway, when you actually read the name Yahweh, that's the name that he gave his people to refer to him. I, I could I could spend the whole time this morning talking about that, but that's just one of the reasons. The second reason that I appreciate the Legacy Standard Bible is that they have also reclaimed the word slave every time that the Greek word doulos is is used in the New Testament. Now, now, you know, all the other translations translated as slave sometimes, or most of them do, but not every time. But the LA, LSB, the Legacy Standard Bible, every time you come across the, the Greek word doulos, it, it translates it as slave, which is exactly what it is supposed to be, um, which, again, is something that the HCSB did and then turned around and undid when they put out their newer translation. Anyway, for example, in Ephesians 6, verse 6, Paul calls us slaves of Christ, not bondservants of Christ, which is what the ESV and other translations put. In 2 Timothy 2.24, Paul calls Timothy the Lord's slave, not the Lord's servant. And in Luke 12.43, Jesus commends his slaves, not his, his servants. Now, Please hear me now. I do not intend to malign the translators of the ESV and virtually every other English translation of the Bible which does not use slave for due loss. But what I intend to communicate here is, is that I commend the translators of the Legacy Standard Bible because slave is the best word when it comes to our relationship to the Lord. He purchased us. Through the blood of his son 1 corinthians 6 verse 20 he owns us and marked us as his own with the holy spirit ephesians 1 verse 13 we are totally dependent on him for life and breath and everything acts 17 25 and we owe him total and absolute submission john 14 21 amongst other places now i know we uh, always think negatively, negatively when we think of a slave-master relationship. But what I want you to know is that when it comes to our relationship with God, uh, it is entirely and absolutely positive. Which brings me back to the Legacy Standard Bible, and more particularly, one man who was very involved with uh, the production of this translation, namely, a name you will know, John MacArthur. Now, John MacArthur had a lot to say about the Greek word doulos. He, in fact, even wrote an entire book called Slave. Now, I would commend this book to you. um, But for now, listen to the, uh, the brief encouragement that MacArthur gives concerning how we should see our relationship to God. He says, I hope we're thrilled to be able to say, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He's the best master. And before you think anything negatively of this, just remember this. He is a master who loves his slaves perfectly. He is a master who seeks the best for his slaves. He is a master who turns his slaves into sons and then gives them a full inheritance, making them joint heirs with Jesus Christ of all that belongs to him. So then we who have trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior should be glad to identify ourselves as slaves. Slaves Of God. Now, um, all of this brings us to our text for today. Uh, Whereas I began my preparation for this sermon, uh, it just appealed to me, or or dawned on me, or reminded me of this relationship that we have with with God. Uh, You know, He is our Master, which means that we must be His slaves. He is our King, which means that we must be His grateful. Subjects. He is our Lord, which means our greatest desire and joy must be to live in submission to Him in, in all things as His slaves. And as we come to our text for today, basically, <laughs> I kind of, in some respects, uh, thought, well, I could basically just get up and read the text and sit down because basically what we find in our text is just do this and do this and do this. And, and, and it just, like I say, it just kind of hit me. It, it reminded me, like, were his slaves, and he tells us what to do. And so, so when, when Paul uh, just simply lists off several things that the Thessalonians must do, um, it's just that reminder that you know, God tells us what to do, and, and we do it. We, we belong to him. We are his slaves. He doesn't give us polite suggestions. And he doesn't give us options to pick and choose from when it comes to his commandments. He gives us uh, our marching orders as our Lord and God and King, and, and we simply do what he says. And so as we hear this text this morning, First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, uh, keep this in mind. Uh, this is God's uh, marching orders to us uh, through Paul to the church in Thessalonica, and uh, our response is simply, yes, Lord. and be dependent on no one. Now, uh, last week we got into this second section of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians in which he focuses on instruction, right? And and, and here is is as clear and plain as day. This is what I have summarized as the right kind of living in light of the return of Christ. The right kind of living in in light of the return of Christ. So last week we talked about the right kind of living. Today uh, is part two on the right kind of living. Next week we get into the Return of Christ. It's exciting stuff. Uh, But what this means for this morning is that our application sections of the sermon are going to be very short because basically I'm just going to repeat what Paul has already said when we get to the application because the application is baked right into the text. There was no digging or searching uh, to find the application in the text. Now that said, I want to make something very plain when it concerns these applications. Um, oftentimes when it comes to an application, you, you know, the, the application says do this and you do it and you're going to, okay, I'm done, right? You know, your boss gives you a project. He says, do this, you do it, you're done. That's not the case here. This is not, I did it and I'm done. Uh, this is something which these things are to be ongoing in the Christian life. And, and this is indicated by these words in our text, more and more. This is a phrase that we already saw in chapter four, verse one, where Paul began his instruction section, where he was talking about sanctification and more specifically sexual immorality. And he says, you need to do this more and more, abstain from this more and more. Um, So what we learned about last week and what we're going to learn about this week, these are things which should mark the Christian life. They should define the right kind of living for slaves of, of Christ. The Thessalonians uh, are told here by Paul to do four things, uh, four things he says to them to do, and then he provides uh, two results of doing these four things. Now, uh, I have done as I usually do, uh, and that is I have arranged this sermon into three points, um, because I think two of these things go quite well together, Uh, and uh, I have also alliterated the section headings, something I am also known to do because it functions as a helpful learning device. Um, and, and so the three things that we're going to talk about, the three, um, the, the, the three issues that are related to the right kind of living are this, uh, loving one another, uh, living quietly, and letting your light shine. Uh, loving one another, living quietly, and letting your light shine. So I know that was a rather lengthy introduction Uh, But with that out of the way, let's get into our text. The first thing Paul addresses is something he has already mentioned, namely, what should mark our relationships in the church? We've talked about this. Verse 9, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Now, if you recall, one of the reasons Paul wants to visit the church in Thessalonica is to supply what is lacking in your faith. There's some things he needs to tell them uh, that they don't know. But one of those things was not uh, to love one another. They already knew this. He didn't need to teach them this. He says this. uh, You have no need for anyone to write to you uh, about loving one another because you already know how to love one another. You already know about brotherly love. You know that God is your father and thus your fellow believers, uh, your fellow church members are your brother's. And sisters, you know that you have this bond with one another based on the fact that you've all been adopted by God. The church in Thessalonica knew this. They didn't need to be, uh, 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 to be written to about this. They didn't need to be taught this, Paul says, in, in person or by letter because, as he notes, they had been taught by God to love one another. Now, you've got to think about what does that mean? They had been taught by God to love one another, Um, I I think that can mean one of two things. Um, The first uh, thing that I I think it could mean is uh, Paul could be referring to the teaching that he's given them already. Um, And so, yes, I think that Paul could have been saying, you've been taught by God already through my teaching. Paul had been there in Thessalonica. He had been sent uh, by God with God's authority and so when Paul speaks, that is the same as God speaking for the church in Thessalonica. So I think when Paul says they've been taught by God to love one another, he, he could be talking about the teaching he provided. But I think there's another way that this could be understood, and that is that God literally taught them directly to love one another. And I think that he would have done that. Uh, or he, I, I know that he does do that in at least two ways. First of all, through the ex- external witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, and he spent three years uh, uh, in ministry, teaching and preaching, and uh, he taught about love for one another in at least uh, a few places, John thirteen thirty four and John fifteen twelve. So I think that could be one, one reference, that the Lord Jesus taught these things, and thus God taught them. Um, But I also think that he could be referring to the internal witness of the Holy Spirit who leads us in righteousness and thus in love for one another. And also the Holy Spirit empowers and enables us to love one another. Now, there are a number of verses in the New Testament about the Spirit's leading. For example, Romans 8, 14 or Galatians 5, 16 through 18. But one of my favorites is actually in the Old Testament. Yes, one of my favorite verses about the leading of the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament, and particularly Ezekiel, when uh, the prophet is speaking for God, and he says this, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Uh, so there the prophet is talking about a day when the spirit would be put upon us and cause us, enable us, empower us to obey God so this lines up with what Paul recently prayed if you recall he prayed that God would make the Thessalonians uh, increase and abound in love and in fact this is what he has done and he does this through his spirit so the two options here are either that Paul is talking about his own teaching when he says God has taught you or he's talking about the uh, that they have literally been taught directly by God through the teachings of Jesus and the internal witness of the Holy Spirit and you won't be surprised when I say that, uh, don't worry, you don't need to choose. This is most definitely one of those both-and situations. I think that both of these things apply. I think that God taught the Thessalonians through Paul to love one another, because we see that in First Thessalonians. And I believe that God also taught the Thessalonians through the teaching of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, to be sure, it is because of God and his word and his work in our lives that we love one another, right? It's God who uh, causes us to love one another. But that does not mean that you are not responsible to love one another. You know, you can't just kick back and go, oh, well, God's going to take care of this. I don't have to do anything. No, no, no. You remember how sanctification works. God says love one another. God causes us to love one another. What do we do? We then love one another. It's that simple he tells us what to do we do it he's the one who sanctifies we are the ones who must pursue sanctification and this is something that we need to work on on an ongoing basis because after paul says that god has taught them to love one another he then adds in verse 10 for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout macedonia but we urge you brothers to do this more and more There's that more and more, an indication that we have never arrived. Never arrived when it comes to love for one another. Something that we learned a few weeks ago when we learned that we will never be fully sanctified in this life, which say we will never be blameless in holiness until Christ returns or calls us home. So what this means is that we can always love one another more. We can always love one another more, and we must strive to always love one another more. After all, we must not miss that just before he tells the Thessalonians to love one another more and more, he says, loving one another is indeed what you are doing. So Paul says, you are doing this already, and then he tells them to do it, which is a good reminder for anyone who is a teacher, whether in the home or in the church, that encouragement should always accompany instruction whenever possible. You parents all hear that out there. Right, So much as possible, encouragement should always accompany instruction. So much as it can. Okay, There are times when mere rebuke is necessary. There are times when no encouragement is, is needed. In fact, there are times when n- no encouragement would be actually appropriate. But I suspect, as a teacher myself, uh, that... More times than not, encouragement should go along with instruction, right? You guys are loving, loving one another so well. Paul says in the Church of Thessalonians, but he says, "But you can do this more and more." So, as we come to the end of this section uh, in the sermon, uh, we come to the first application, which I know is going to be—I I know it's going to be very, very short. Um, so, I'm just going to do with you all what Paul did with the Thessalonians. I am going to encourage you all. Uh, by saying that I, I think we are a loving church. I, and I've said this many times. I've said this to people many times. I, I, I can recall times. You all know I don't have a great memory of, uh, you know, of last week or a few weeks ago or a few years ago, but I, I can recall instances uh, where I've talked to um, visitors and, and I've commended our church for being a very loving church. I can uh, remember times where somebody, a member, has said to me, I don't think our church is very loving. And I said, I disagree. I think our church is, is very loving. I think that we love one another well, and I think that we show to, uh, seek to show that love in tangible ways. So I, I commend you all for the love that you have for one another. But you can love one another more and more, and I commend to you that love. I, I, I uh, encourage you uh, to pursue this Love And then remember uh, something I said, I can't remember last week, the week before. Remember who it is that makes us more loving. And, and so thus pray to God and thank him for the love we have for one another. And then pray that God would make us more loving. Would you do that? W- would you pray that God would make us a more loving church? I, I hope that you'll add that to your, to your list this week. This is something that we need. And, and it's something that uh, I believe will uh, create more unity here Amongst us. So, the first thing uh, Paul commends to us is to love one another. The second thing, uh, maybe not quite as simple to uh, explain, and that is to live quietly. He urges the Thessalonians to aspire to live quietly. Now, according to the lexicon, uh, the verb translated to live quietly uh, can also be understood as to refrain from disturbing activity and to be peaceable and orderly. Uh, I don't know. When I hear the uh, live quietly, it's like we're we supposed to all act like we work in a, live in a library. You know, quiet. Um, in, in a sense, yes. Uh, but I do think the lexicon is helpful to refrain from disturbing activity, to be peaceable and orderly. So we might describe what Paul is saying here is that we should be good neighbors. That's, I think, what we call, you know, we call somebody being a good neighbor, right? Wh- whenever you buy a house, right? It's always very important, right? The, the three most important things about buying a house, location, 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 right? And, and part of that location is the view, right? But part of that location has to do with who lives next to you. Uh, and I remember actually when we sold our house there on Francie, one of the houses is in very bad shape and the person who... Bought our house, they came up and before they were gonna buy the house, they're like, what's the deal with that person? What no, it's okay, you know, and we we set this person's mind at ease, very nice person, and you know, everything. Sure, the house is dilapidated and whatnot. But but the the, the fact of the matter is is that you're gonna want to be careful about who you live next to. Um because you know you don't want people throwing loud parties at night and keeping you awake. Which, when we first moved there, is actually what happened. We had somebody on this side that threw a lot of parties about this, part. and it's just like it's 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 disruptive. It's 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 uh, disturbing. And in fact, this is one area uh, where our laws in Canada reflect what is commended in this verse, because Section 175 of the Criminal Code uh, says it, it makes it an offense. Uh, this is a, I quote: uh, It makes it an offense to cause a disturbance in or near a public place by fighting. Screaming, shouting, swearing, singing—that one threw me. I'm like, I don't know about that. You know, I, I might be willing to cause a disturbance with singing hymns somewhere. I might be open to that. Maybe we might have to break the law that way sometimes. Uh, moving along, using insulting or obscene language, being drunk, or impeding or molesting other people. So basically, if you are to live quietly, um, you have to be considerate of others. You need to think about others uh, so that they can live a quiet life also. Uh, So the point here is that living a quiet life, in fact, takes work. Um, And this is exactly why Matthew Henry uh, says about this command, we should be ambitious and industrious how to be calm and quiet in our minds, in patience to possess our own souls and to be quiet towards others or of a meek and mild, a gentle and peaceable disposition not given to strife, contentious, or division. This means that you need to labor at living in such a way that your presence in your neighborhood, at your job, in your home, or in your church is not a pain to others, but in fact is a joy to others. Now, there are two more things Paul commends, which are connected, I think, with living quietly. Uh, Two more things that we should aspire to, Uh, and the first Paul uh, tells the Thessalonians is to mind your own affairs, Boy, Paul's getting into meddling now, I tell you what. Um, This is not a concept that is difficult to understand, Um, but there is something that we must notice which is implied in this uh, command with the word, your own. You're to mind your own affairs, which is intended for us to infer (laughs) that we're not to mind other people's affairs. Mind your own affairs, not everyone else's affairs. What Paul is saying is that we should be on guard against being a busybody, a term we don't use often anymore, but one which appropriately uh, appropriately explains what Paul is warning us against. It is defined as a person who is overly interested in the affairs of others, often meddling in matters that do not concern them. This term characterizes someone who is nosy or prying, frequently involving themselves in other people's lives without invitation or welcome, Busybodies are often seen as intrusive and overstepping social boundaries as they tend to offer unsolicited advice, ask inappropriate questions, or spread gossip under the guise of concern or interest. So notice here, uh, Paul is not telling us not to care about others. He has just told us that we're to love one another more and more, which means that we must care about others and we must be involved in the lives of others, but we must not be overbearing. And we must not insert ourselves in the lives of others where it is not appropriate. Uh, In short, what he is telling us uh, is uh, something, uh, a phrase you might remember from uh, when you were a kid. And that's when you're told to mind your own business. Do you ever remember that when you were in school, you know? And they come, hey, what's going on over here? And they they, go, mind your own business. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, mind your own business. Business, uh, he's not telling us not to care about others because, in many situations, other people are our business. Y- you see, there we're to mind our own business, but sometimes other people are our business. Like one pastor commentator says, Paul is not giving us an excuse to neglect the needs of others. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, it's it's not as though uh, y- you know people need help. Somebody needs prayed for. They need a meal, and you go, hey, man. Sean told me to mind my own business. That's not what's going on here. He says, Paul's not giving us an excuse to neglect the needs of others. When it comes to suffering, sickness, poverty, and affliction, our brothers' and sisters' concerns are our business. So uh, the first thing connected with living quietly is to mind your own affairs. The second thing is to work with your hands as we instructed you. This is simply a condemnation of laziness. Uh, I don't think Paul is concerned with the type of work here. You know, for us, we kind of think of like blue-collar work as working with your hands, right? You're a carpenter, you're an electrician, you know, whatever. You work with your hands, and if you work in an office, we don't consider that working with your your hands, but that's, I I don't think that's what's going on here. Uh, I I think what uh, Paul is is, uh, focusing on here is that we should not be idle. We should not be lazy. We should instead work and be Productive, however much we can at any given time in our lives. It's, it's like the famous Baptist theologian John Gill comments, the apostles view being chiefly to inveigh against sloth and idleness, and to exhort to labor and industry as the more effectual method to preserve peace and quietness, and to keep persons from being troublesome and hurtful in families, churches, and commonwealth. You, you see there the connection between these two things, right? Between minding your own business and, and, and being busy, Right? The more you focus on your, more, or your own work, the less you can focus on other people's business that is not your, your business. Now, let me state here, there are obviously times in uh, our lives when we cannot do much work, or in fact, any work at all, like when we're infants, <laughs> or, or when we're elderly, or, or infirm. Uh, but so much as we can, we should guard against being idle. So if we work outside of the home, uh, we should be diligent in our labor and should seek to be the best at what we are. If you're a carpenter, you should seek to be the best carpenter you can be. If you're an office worker, seek to be the best office worker you can be. If you're a delivery driver, you know, on and on. You you seek to be the best at what you you can do. You you be a good worker. Uh, But likewise, if you work in the home, like, for example, if you are a homemaker, Right. Homemakers do not sit around all day eating bonbons and watching soap operas. Uh, And if they do, they're not good homemakers. Right. Homemakers are busy making homes. And so if you are blessed to work in the home, then you should be diligent in your labors, making a home which honors and glorifies God. And furthermore, if you are in the home, you have an opportunity to train your children as they grow likewise to be good workers and productive members of your home. So they will then become productive members of the church and society at large. So once again, we come to the application section. I really don't have much to add. uh, So we'll move on to the last section. Uh, But before we do, I'll just simply uh, urge you all to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands. Don't be a disturbance to those around you. Uh, don't be a busybody, don't be lazy, which brings us to the last section of this sermon. We've looked at loving one another, Uh, we've looked at uh, uh, living quietly, Uh, and now we get to letting your light shine. Now, I know, uh, you know, if you read through the text before today, I commend you for that, and uh, when you heard me uh, utter that last point, you're like, there's no way, man, I didn't see anything in that text about letting your light shine. Well, I assure you it's there. Uh, Paul finishes this section uh, with concerns uh, as far as the result of applying his instructions. So so let me make a connection for you, if I can. There is an analogy that Jesus makes for our witness. And, and it is simply to let your light shine. He uses this in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine so that people may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. What does that, what does that mean? Well, it simply means to act as a witness to others. Live in such a way that other people see your light, right? Live your, your life like shining so that people can see it. And, and so look at what Paul says in verse 12. He, he says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders he says you do these things you you live quietly uh, you, you mind your own business uh, you you work with your hands he says so that you may walk properly before outsiders so the so that clearly connects what he said with what precedes it so he's saying if, if you do these things uh, then you will provide a good witness to others remember jesus uses letting your light shine as an analogy for being a witness to others now, as in many other places in Paul's letters, Romans 6 4, Romans 13 13, Galatians 5 16, Ephesians 4, I could go on and on. He, he uses walking as a metaphor for living. When he talks about your walk, he's talking about your, your life, which makes the point that you are a witness if you are living. Right? You, 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 this is not kind of one of those you really need to be a witness. This is that you are a, a witness. Because if you live, you will be seen by others in some way or another. Um, So we are witnesses wherever we live, uh, whether in our our community or in our homes, at our jobs, with our neighbors, in our cars when we are driving, people see you. Um, When we're at grocery stores or department stores, when we're shopping, when we're at restaurants, we are a witness. And you've heard this before. I've said this many times before, but you need to hear it again because we find it in our texture today. And it is this. The question is not whether you will be a witness or not. The question is whether you will be a good witness or a bad witness. You, you will be a witness one way or the other because people are watching the way you live. And if you don't like that, there could be a problem with the way that you're living. If you don't like the fact that people are watching the way you live, then there might be a problem with the way you are living. We ought to want to be a witness. Jesus says to let your light shine. Don't don't put it under a bushel. Let it it shine. Uh, Live your life before others, whether that's in person or online. Um, You should have no problem with anybody anybody at all seeing the way that you live and the things that you post and the way you interact on online um, so uh next of all the last thing he says here if you do what paul commends in the previous verses you will be a good witness and you will also be he says dependent on no one i like this i, I, I like this one uh because i don't like to depend on anyone to a fault <laughs> right? Because there, there are times when you should depend on others. In fact, I would say that in some ways you could be in sin if you do not depend on others. Um, there are times when due to God's providence that we must depend on others. We all need help from time to time. And as a church, it's, it's our responsibility to care for one another's needs from time to time. Uh, but you know, that's one of the reasons that we should seek to not have to depend on anyone. Because when you don't have to depend on anyone, it's then when you can help somebody who does need to depend on someone. So what what Paul says to the Thessalonians, God says to us, if we will la- labor at loving one another and living quietly, then our light will shine to those around. Those in our lives will see the way we live, and we will be good witnesses of God's grace in our lives. And then... Because we don't have to depend on others, we will be able to provide for the needs of of others. So, uh, as I I said, our text is not really difficult to understand, um, nor do I think there's any uh, concerns about you all leaving without knowing what you're supposed to do. Um, The the application in today's sermon took little work to find, and, and if you know anything about preparing sermons, application is key. If there's no application, what's the point, right? If there's no application, there's no sermon because uh, it's not just instruction. It's not just information. There's got to be something to do when you leave. Um, and so, you know, like preaching through some sections of 1 Samuel, tough sometimes to find the application. Um, teaching through uh, these few verses in 1 Thessalonians, not hard to find the application, right? It's, it's right there in, in shining life, big billboard right in front of us. So through the pen of Paul, God has provided for us Some very clear instructions. First of all, we must love one another. Second of all, we must live quietly by minding our own affairs and working diligently. And third of all, we must let our light shine before others. These are our marching orders. Orders that we should be glad to carry out if, in fact, we are slaves of Jesus Christ. Which is to say, if we have trusted in Jesus as our Savior and confessed Him as Lord. You see, God in his kindness has redeemed us through the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to say he has purchased us as his own. He has empowered and enabled us by his spirit to obey him in all things. And he has called us to live lives of obedience and faithfulness. There is then only one way to respond to his orders. Just two words should follow the instructions we have received today. The words of a grateful and joyful slave. And those two words are, yes, Lord.